Church on the Rock. How is everyone? It's good to see you guys. I'm happy to be here worshiping with you. It's great when the, the body of Christ comes together. So let's lift our voices in song. Joyful, joyful, we adore you, God of take our sin away. We thank you that uh, you're alive in us, that you're working in our hearts, in our families, in our city. Lord, we thank you this morning for salvation. We thank you that you're here with us, that you're meeting here with us today. Lord, we love you. We're grateful that we get to celebrate the gospel together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, worship team. Chris, it's great to have you back. Felicia, way to go. Um, would you guys join me in our declaration of purpose? As we gather together as God's family, we come with a purpose to invest in God's work and to invest in God's people. As he has been generous to us, we will be generous in his kingdom and with his people. Our time is his, our resources are his, our hearts are his, our lives are his. For his is the kingdom the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Thanks, worship team. 
also want to say for everyone online, welcome to church. Well, I also want to say it's November 1st, and I believe that was a version of a Christmas song. Yeah, that was. Chris, would you like to confirm that? No? It's, it's, it's a transitional piece. A transitional okay. <laughs> We're transitioning to Christmas. <laughs> we had a great week. Yeah, we had a great week. We had a busy tell, week. Tell this, us what happened. This last weekend, we had our annual global missions conference, right, right, which right. looked very different than previous years, and in yeah. fact, looked very different from even what we thought a week before the event. The day before. Yeah, the day before. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah, it was changing by the minute. Yeah, yeah. I basically was a call center for about two weeks for the missionaries. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I was on the phone all And the you time. did well. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. So uh, we usually do our, our conference. We have a whole bunch of, usually, events in person starting from Saturday um, evening all the way through Monday night, which is our missions banquet. We should take that opportunity to... Uh, invite everyone to, you know, pledge what they're giving at the conference or what they plan to give over to the coming year. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, but we had a lot of our missionaries that, that couldn't, you know, come for a whole, you know, bunch of reasons. And then we had um, a little over a dozen um, missionaries that were going to be able to make it down to Homer or were in town that could make it to some of, some of our events. So we were just going to facilitate an in-person thing on Sunday morning, yeah. our, our services and different missionaries would share and then we had basically all of the missionaries that planned to come to Homer came into like direct contact with someone with COVID like that week. So pretty much all of them quarantined, like starting two days before the conference. Right. So I think we ended up with three or four missionaries here on Sunday morning, Yeah. Um, which worked out. We had Eric Roseboom got yeah. to, to, to share the word. We had Tyler Webster and a couple other uh, folks who were able to share their updates uh, via video, which was good. Yeah. But yeah, you know, Something that I I really appreciate the missionaries and their flexibility. I recognize the challenges that they have to make to already in a normal year to make it work to, yeah, to yeah. come here. Right. But certainly this year the challenges are more than usual. Some of them actually made it to Homer. That's <laughs> 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 true. Some made it to Homer yes. and then quarantined in Homer. Yes, they had yes, to quarantine once they were here. Yeah. yeah, I think we had we had like five or six different yeah. missionaries that found out when they were on the road to Homer yeah. the day before on like Friday. So, um, but I do want you guys to know too, you know, we, something I heard from the missionaries over and over and over again, even a lot of them who never even, I mean, they're still on the field. They just were sending video updates and other things. All of them appreciated you guys, how you celebrate them. And that's the whole goal is to cel celebrate the, the missionaries, to celebrate the work of God, to be able to participate actively in giving and support and in going yeah. as we're able. And I, over day after day, all of the missionaries were, were just continue to express their gratitude for our support of them. And, and a lot of them feel more alone than they have in yeah, a long time. And sure. so I want to say to all of you guys, thank you for making missions a priority in your life. Yeah. You guys are a wonderful church and so generous. So um, you want to put that pledge number up too? So our total pledge this year is 170 Five thousand four hundred and forty-five dollars. That's awesome. Um, which yeah. is about, yeah, which is awesome. And then I know that there's a good batch of people too that have their pledges kind of coming in because yeah, yeah. it was online. It was a little trickier to get uh, yeah. our numbers as well. But thank you guys for giving, for celebrating, and for being a part of missions. So there's that. Um, we do have one other thing. Yep. Um, in the spirit of uh, Christmas early, thank you, Chris. Uh, we have Operation Christmas Child this year. It is a little earlier than other years, though it always is early in Alaska to get things shipped in time. Because of COVID, we have to kind of get this rolling even earlier. So the deadline for uh, physical uh, boxes brought here is November 11th. So if you want to do uh, Operation Christmas Child and, and pack up box, they're over there and the instructions are over there as well. You can grab them on your way out. Um, you so can, for someone who has no idea what this is, yeah. tell us what it is real quick. So the Samaritan's Purse, they deliver, it's like over a million of these right. boxes a year, and they do all of the operations and logistics. You yeah. put presents in the box for a kid that does not get to celebrate Christmas yeah. on any level, and they actually will deliver all these boxes all around the world yeah. on your behalf. You can do one box or 10 boxes, and they take care of all the shipping and everything yeah. on your behalf, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, and so they actually have, and you mentioned this last service, if you go on, online, they actually have some amazing footage from the last couple yeah. years, especially right. of how much they've been doing. Yeah. And with COVID, it's even more pertinent now than it has been even in the past. So, yeah, that's great. Uh, so you can do in physical uh, uh, box uh, by the 11th. 
You also, if you don't want to go around and shop and buy stuff or have whatever going on or need more time, you actually can build a box online. Uh, so they have a link. We have a portal. Uh, the link's on here. It's also on the website. But you can build one online, and they, it's a little bit more expensive, but you can do it that way, and they'll do it on your behalf. And that has to be due by the 27th. So. Awesome. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, I'm going to pray for you. Yeah, I'm And ready. then we can jump into the Word together. If you guys would pray with me for Aaron, <clears throat> I would greatly appreciate that. Jesus, I thank you for Aaron. I thank you for what you have placed on his heart. Lord, we ask that you would speak through Aaron. As for all of us, that you would make, uh, uh, that you'd soften our hearts to your voice. Um, Holy Spirit, we just acknowledge that you're here, that you want to speak to us. It's through the Holy Spirit that you speak. We think that you're alive, that you're alive through your word. We get to celebrate together uh, in scripture and in worship. Lord, we thank you for our facility as well, that we get to be together, that we get to celebrate the gospel and that we get to learn from you. We get to learn from your word. We love Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Drew. All right. So at Church in the Rock, we have made a habit over the last 12 years we have been through the scripture exactly three times from start to finish. One of the things that I personally have enjoyed and I feel like is a benefit to me, one of them, in going through the timeline of scripture, going through the narrative, is that uh, when we come to a Sunday, our topic of discussion, our, our passage to cover on that Sunday is not uh, a matter of my whim or my mood meaning I don't necessarily just say, hmm, I wonder what I want to talk to people about this Sunday. The, the storyline of Scripture has actually laid out for me a roadmap, and I actually enjoy sticking to that roadmap, and I enjoy that uh, oftentimes while sticking to that roadmap, I find that the next story in the Scripture is just so profoundly relevant to us right now, right? I love that. It's been great. This is November 1st. This is when we start our fourth cycle. But we're not going to this morning because I'm going to break my own rule. And I'm going to just tell you what I want to talk about this morning. Um, the reason I feel like somewhat okay doing this is because I feel like, I feel like that what I want to talk to you about this morning is inside of the boundaries of what is a real consistent uh, uh, and urgent plea from the early church fathers, from the guys who wrote the scripture. <clears throat> what I want to talk to you about this morning, um, this will be a little bit different, but um, I want to... Uh, I want to talk about the church. Um, I think that it is safe to say that the early church fathers, the writers of the New Testament, had a high regard for the church, a great love for the church. They were not cynical or pessimistic about the church. They were honest about the issues in the church and yet they fought on behalf of the church. The church is the only place, it's in the collective of believers coming together that the gospel can be fully displayed. It's also true that the church is always under threat. There has never been a generation of the church since the time of Jesus that said to itself, isn't this great? There's no threat of any issues. There's no threat of any corruption. There's no threat of our message being diluted. So this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna tell you a story. This is a visual story so that you can track along with. This is not a true story, although you might find yourself in this story. Uh, this is a story about Bill. Um, now, don't be confused. This is not any of the bills that you know, and I know that you know several. So this is a different bill than the bill that you already know. I'm going to tell this story from the first person, but this is not actually my story. 
So as I tell you this story, um, you may find at different points that you feel like, oh yeah, I, I totally relate to where he's coming from. And then other times in the story you may say, that's not, I don't know, I'm not with you on that. Okay, you tracking so far? <laughs> this is Bill. <clears throat> Bill's a happy guy. He's uh, pretty content. But uh, over time, Bill began to observe the world around him, and he realized that there are uh, different ideas about things. There are different views on things. Bill discovered that uh, people have opinions about things and that those opinions are sometimes at odds with other people's opinions about things. But what Bill was thankful for is that Bill's opinion on those things was appropriately right in the center at the place of balance between those things. Bill is the guy that avoids extremes. He's in the middle. <laughs> then over time, sorry, I'm talking about Bill. I'm supposed to tell this in the first person. I'm Bill now. And then over time, I realized that others seem to carry their beliefs about things more heavily, more, more seriously, more intensely than I did my own views on things. <clears throat> and then over time, uh, it seemed like others were, uh, in my observation, much more vocal about their opinions, their competing opinions on things. Seemed like they wanted to uh, make their opinions known to others on these issues that they disagreed on. And then it seemed over time like everyone became more opinionated on everything. And it seemed like there was a large divide between large segments of people. And then over time, I observed that these opinions, these ideas became very aggressive. It seemed like there was anger it seems like there was a, a, a level of intensity that I had not before observed. And then over time, it seemed like everyone was becoming more angry and intense. As I made these observations, more time went by. And then over time, I started feeling a little more nervous, a little, a little more vulnerable, uh, even at times uh, victimized by the intensity of these different ideas and, and views on things being flung back and forth. But then something switched. Something switched in my observation of, of the world around me. Over time, I realized, wait a minute, I'm, I'm actually not alone. The truth is, most people are chickens, just like me. Most people are conflict avoidant. And what's really going on is that these, these, these far extreme competing voices are being elevated to an intensity that it seems like that's the whole narrative, but that's not what's really going on. Those are just two very loud, extreme viewpoints on things. But even after making that realization, over time, I begin to feel, you know what, none of it matters anyways. I don't really know anymore. I feel very small in the face of all of these things all of these ideas, all of these competing visions for truth. And so I just disengaged. But as I disengaged and as I watched, 
Over time, I actually started to feel less small. As I observed from a distance, I felt like I began to see all of this that is going on in my world, the conflict, the differences of views and opinions. I began to see it more objectively. And then over time, I realized it was everyone else who was small. And then over time, I realized that really I alone am right. I want to make four quick uh, observations <clears throat> about the church from Scripture. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians 1, picking it up in verse 10. This is Paul writing to this group of believers, and this is his very first instruction to them. He says, I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you. So your assignment this morning is before you leave this building, just make sure you all agree that there's no divisions among you, that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people. I don't know if you know Chloe, but she is a tattletale. That there are quarrels among you, and this is what I mean. Some of you say, well, I, am, I follow Paul. And someone else says, well, I only listen to the teachings of Apollos. And someone else says, well, I'm Peter's guy, and yet another person says, well, I only follow Jesus. <clears throat> Here's my first observation. Relationship-threatening divisions are a predictable part of the human experience. If you look out at the world around you and say, wow, it seems like there is so much threat to or threat for division among people. This is not new to human experience. What I love about this passage is that this group of people, these new believers, were creating factions. In fact, they were, they were arguing with each other based on their allegiances to four guys who are preaching exactly the same message. And yet they found a reason, they found, maybe it, was their, maybe it was their hairdo, maybe it was the style of clothes they wore, they had found some reason to see the differences and make those differences a really big deal. And this is experienced like in human terms. So Mark and Kathy Hemstreet and I, we used to be friends, but then I found out that they're like, they're, they follow Peter, and I'm like, Peter doesn't, Peter's smoking crack. That guy doesn't even know what he's talking about. And then, so we got into this big argument about whether Peter was legitimate or Paul was a preference. And then they have this cousin who says, well, I just follow Jesus, so I don't care about Peter and Paul. And it kind of like fell apart. But the, the problem is I had invited them over to Thanksgiving, and now I'm trying to figure out how do I uninvite them over to Thanksgiving? Because I can't, we, don't, we, we obviously just don't see eye to eye. Paul says, hey, um, these divisions, these quarrels are not worth it. Relationship-threatening divisions are a predictable part of the human experience. Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in the abundance of counselors, there is a victory. This is such a simple principle, and it's actually stated numerous times in the book of Proverbs, but the basic premise is this, is there is a, is a distinction between two kinds of people, the people who don't risk their opinions by sharing them with others who can inform those opinions, and those who do risk their opinions by sharing them with others who are then able to inform those opinions, right? Two types of people. You are more likely to believe 
in the rightness of your various takes on things to the degree that you don't engage on those issues with others who disagree or who might disagree. Your confidence in your opinions becomes greater when you don't share those opinions with others. And yet Proverbs says that in the absence of, of counselors, of, of uh, that kind of input, that you have increased the potential of your falling, of your failure. For those of you who are married, have you ever had an argument with your wife that you didn't verbalize, just in your head? Yeah, Steve has, yeah. I win those arguments 99% of the time. Because all of my, all of my sort of uh, ideas and views on things, all of my takes on things, all of my interpretation of things, none of that is called into question, right? And yet in our environment, it is our perception of hostilities that are at play that convince us it's not worth, it's not worth bringing up. It's not worth talking about. I mean, I have questions about it. I have some concerns about this, but I mean, look at the world around us. This is it. Everyone's going nuts. Let's not, let's not risk relationship. But this proverb, Proverbs eleven fourteen, is not suggesting that you should look for people simply because they disagree with you. What Proverbs, though, the wisdom of Proverbs is suggesting is that you should seek counselors. A counselor is someone who has wisdom and knowledge to guide you in answering your question. It's finding someone who has expertise in an area where I have thoughts and questions. So, um, how many of you have the perception, whether it's right or not, but your perception is that there is a difference of opinion regarding wearing masks? Some of you are lying. <laughs> so you've perceived that there's a difference of opinion about mask wearing. Fair? Yeah, okay. We all live in the same world. Okay, so you're seeing what I'm seeing. A counselor is someone who has wisdom and knowledge to answer my questions on an issue. For me, in this particular, on this particular topic, what that means is that I go to Dr. Edson Knapp because Dr. Edson Knapp has studied medicine a little longer than I have. He has not only knowledge, but he is a godly man and he has wisdom. And so I say, you know, I've heard this, I've read this, I've seen this, I got yelled at for this. Uh, can you help me see what I'm not seeing or what I'm missing? That's a counselor. And what the proverb is suggesting is that we should be going after lots of those people. And yet, when you feel like the environment is hostile on the very issues that are contentious, you're tempted to retreat on those issues and never talk about them with anyone. You have questions about politics. We have Christian politicians even in our church. Ask your questions to wise counselors. I had a conversation just last week on the phone with Shelly Erickson. She's a friend of mine. She's been in politics. She's a believer. And I find that every time I talk to her, she has a perspective that I had not considered yet because she's in it, right? She's doing it. You have questions about church leadership decisions, how churches respond in our, in our current environment. 
Go ask a church leader, an elder, a pastor, what am I missing? What am I not seeing? Help me understand. What we tend to do is we have thoughts and concerns that have been oftentimes propped up by media that we consume, and it leads us to conclusions about things in our own environment, right? Our own church family even. Um, and this might, this might surprise you, maybe not, but watching talking heads is not the same as seeking counsel. The, the idea of confirmation bias says that I tend to listen to people that I know already are going to agree with what I already believe, right? Seeking counsel is going to someone that I know, that I have relationship with, that I trust, that has wisdom and saying, what am I missing? What am I not seeing? Help me understand. Rather than retreating and as believers out of fear for causing trouble or causing problems, as believers on critical issues retreat, we become less of the fellowship that God intends for us to be. Proverbs 6.12, a scoundrel and a villain goes about with a corrupt mouth, winks the eye, signals with his feet, motions with his fingers, plots evil with deceit in his heart, and he always stirs up dissension. Therefore, disaster will overtake him in an instant, and he will be suddenly destroyed without remedy. The, the writer of Proverbs, the, the wisdom is this, that the person who, who finds some joy, excitement in stirring up disagreements, stirring up decision, that person is the villain of the story. You understand that in our environment right now, that anger and fear are the primary drivers of news media engagement and political messaging. Have you seen a political ad in the last month that didn't encourage you to either be angry or afraid? I don't think that I have. In fact, my, my youngest children have picked up on this and a, an ad will come on from basically every platform, right? Anywhere that you have anything coming, Pandora or the radio in Anchorage or everywhere, an ad will come on and one of my young kids will go, ooh, so scary. Because they understand that the purpose of it, to the, 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 the way that they draw you in is to make you afraid of something, right? And I'm not judging on the premise of the content. What I'm saying is that so much of public discourse coming from these sources is, is capitalizing on creating dissension and using fear and anger to do it. And the proverb says, that's a scoundrel. That's a villain who does that. And not only that, but disaster will overtake them in an instant. Anger and fear are not generalized, they become targeted. We become angry with other people that we know because we perceive they hold a particular viewpoint that we've never verified with them that they hold, and yet we hold them accountable to the most extreme version of that viewpoint, and so we sever relationship. Paul says, I'm begging you, I'm begging you. You guys got to do the work to get on the same page. You're arguing over which preacher you have allegiance to, and they're all preaching the same thing. The third observation is that disaster awaits those who stoke divisions. Last one. Chris, you can come, come on up. 1 Corinthians 1, 26, following. This is that same passage where Paul is exhorting them to unity. 
and I love this. This is almost comedy to me. He says, I want you to consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many that were mighty or many that were noble. What Paul's actually saying is he says, look around. You noticed that the people that have come into the faith are not the most impressive specimens that humanity has to offer? Did you notice that that God hasn't necessarily reserved his calling for the geniuses and the ultra-strong? He goes on, he says, God has actually chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that we believe are strong. God has chosen the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen them, the things that are not, so that he might nullify the things that are, that we put our confidence in. And it is for this purpose, so that no man may boast before God. Here's my fourth observation. Our common bond as believers is our dependence, not our magnificence. It's coming together with a group of people who maybe ideologically, maybe philosophically, maybe politically, I'm not on the same page with. And yet we have this mutual recognition that it's not my brilliant ideas that have brought me into this fellowship and have brought me before God. It is our, it is our shared dependence. The storyline that I told you about Bill is actually, is actually incorrect on every point because the true believer walks into the fellowship of believers and does not see all of those ideological differences as primary. What we see as primary is a group of people that are mutually, equally dependent upon Jesus. It is the basis of our fellowship. And when I walk in, I recognize that whether you believe this or you believe that, that each person here, our testimony is our shared need for Jesus, that Jesus alone is our hope. And I carry this narrative in my mind. Here are the people who, like me, need to encounter the goodness of God through each other. And that's how God has designed it. And so we come together and we say, we come with a purpose to invest in God's work and God's people. You got it, you had it. Because everything is his anyways. Our time is his, our resources, our hearts are his, our lives are his. And it's my prayer that in the midst of navigating a time in our uh, place in history, in our environment here in Homer, Alaska, where the human issues that are rising to the surface are not much different than they have been throughout all of human history, that we would double down on this, our shared bond of dependence on Jesus. God, I pray that you would uh, help us to pursue being the church as you've called us to be. That we would not let those outside steer the narrative of how we perceive and view the fellowship of believers. We would be informed by your word, informed by godly counsel. And that as we come before you, each person, no more or no less, but equally dependent upon you, that you would make us a testimony of your grace, that in our weakness, you would be strong. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship.
We thank you for his life of example. We thank you for his life worthy to be praised and followed. And Father, right now in this time, we know that what we need is you in every aspect of our lives. know that our allegiance lands firmly on your spotless lamb, on Jesus. So God, open our eyes this week to ways that we can live that out in fruitful ways. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for being worthy of every bit of our praise. And we give you that praise today. God, be with us as we move from this building out into our community. Let us change lives through the power of your Holy Spirit for the good news of your gospel. We pray this in your name, Jesus. It was an honor and a privilege to be worshiping with you guys today. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next week.